Thanks for tuning into Reach Radio, a podcast for public health professionals looking to expand their network, be inspired, and discover resources and tools that help improve the experience of public health professionals and patients in their communities. I'm your host, Fran. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Reach Radio. I am honored to be able to introduce you to Amir Bozorgzadeh. Amir is the co-founder and CEO of Virtually. His organization is doing amazing work within the area of neurosciences and virtual reality. They're focused in on addressing cognitive illnesses, disorders, and learning challenges. I'm really excited about today's discussion because the way that Amir and his team are addressing these issues is by really doubling down on research and development. And in today's discussion, I'm really looking forward to him enlightening us on some of the approaches that his team is taking and some of the stakeholders that he has found to be really instrumental in helping to progress this area of application for virtual reality. Amir, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, friend. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited for you to be here and our listeners, and I can't wait to hear more about the work that your organization is doing. So let's get started. Tell us a little bit about your company. Yeah, so we're a company that's right at the intersection of the neurosciences and virtual reality. And what we've done is we, we're a digital therapeutics company that essentially allows any user right now, we're available everywhere, to download our app, which offers a library of, of VR cognitive gains designed by our neuroscientists uh, to test and train a range of cognitive functions like your, your memory skills and your information processing skills and problem-solving skills, but also because of the embodiment of virtual reality, also your motor control, your spatial orientation. So a lot of companies ever since COVID, especially as it's serving as a catalyst with the FDA creating a new category uh, specifically for VR, medical extended reality. I'm sure in your background, you're well aware of so much amazing things happening, but a lot of us companies in this space, we have our own niches and we're the company in VR that's taking cognitive assessment and training to the next level thanks to spatial computing. Wow. So I absolutely love this. And when you describe sort of the work that you're doing, it makes me think about so many areas of opportunity, right? Whether it's who you are right now in this moment, but also who you are in the future. I mean, there are challenges with cognition and, and memory loss. Tell us about the types of individuals you find really gaining from this technology. I mean, you're totally right. It's such a broad application when we're talking about cognitive assessment and the training aspect. You know, from my point of view, in 10 years, we're already seeing this huge shift in in appreciation of what mental health means, uh, what it implies, you know, areas that we've been kind of ignoring in our lives from the mental health side. We, We glorify physical health and at its expense, we forget the intangible side of the human condition. Um, and that's changing a lot, but what we consider our technology to be really tackling is, I think the analogy would be to physical health, going to the gym, uh, the gym for the body, well, we're the gym for the mind. And so, you know, ultimately and inevitably, we are very broad focused as a kind of a health span technology that I think in 10 years time, it won't be so strange for your friend to hear that your colleague or yourself doing a 15 minute workout of cognitive games just to, you know, work out the different muscles of your brain, so to speak. But that said, that's, you know, that long-term vision of broad application. Invariably, as a company that is in cognitive assessment, we are looking to tackle, you know, the big uh, dinosaurs and elephants, the, the, the massive problems in this in the sector, which is, you know, ultimately relating to cognitive decline. Can we use our kind of technology to 
better assess uh, mild cognitive impairment and therefore be able to intervene early in, in older adults so that they can perhaps extend their quality of life longer because they found out that there was something going on in their mental fitness that they can now proactively address. So, you know, we're talking about things like Alzheimer's that scares the, it's just, I don't think there's a scarier thing. I think Bill Gates said the scariest thing for him is when his brain stops working. And I think I similarly share that kind of fear because we don't have solutions for a lot of these cognitive illnesses. Once they happen, you can only manage the symptoms with pharmaceutical drugs. There's been a 99% failure rate in, in Alzheimer's drug clinical trials for the last 15 years, you know? And so that's a very big focus of ours is, is cognitive decline. And we have a lot of research partnerships that are focused on that. We have our first clinical study in Barcelona. Um, our research partners there are focused on type 2 diabetes as a high risk factor to cognitive decline and Alzheimer's. So you can see we're, we're kind of enabling our research partners in those areas. But of course, then I'm also focused on pediatric ADHD as another kind of area. We had Achille Interactive in, in Boston just had their game Endeavor RX, the first video game to be declared a prescribed treatment for pediatric ADHD. It's a huge market coming out. So pediatric ADHD, cognitive decline, these two big, you know, from two extremes. And yet our technology ultimately will be, I think, something that once validated uh, sufficiently um, as the next generation of cognitive assessment also, but also the digital therapeutic aspects of it, I think it will be a general population kind of, you know, gym for the mind. So this is exciting. Let's break this up into a couple of parts, okay? So let's look at it first from the older adult population since you sort of began there a little bit when you refer to cognitive decline. And, you know, knowing that the population is rapidly aging, more people over the age of 65 than under the age of five today, yeah. and those numbers continue to climb. And of course, is a worldly phenomenon. It's not just in one area or region of the country. But technology, you know, sometimes takes a while to get into the community and for folks to know about it. Can you share with us a little bit about sort of the work that you're doing or that you anticipate doing to let it be known more broadly about these amazing platforms that you're creating? Okay, being a founder is really difficult. Being a founder in virtual reality anything emerging technology, whenever you see the word emerging, you go, oh boy, you're going to have a Super lot difficult. of yeah. ulcers, you know, developed based on the stress. And, you know, my CTO and co-founder, Hossein, he ultimately goes, why did you not just go VR, not just go VR healthcare and, and tackle even ed tech? And these are really difficult paths, both sides. But then you go and we're creating a library of these games, not just one game. We have to create, now we have 11 games as of right now. We have about 16,000 early users who've been beta testers and so on. Um, about 12 research partners across the US and Europe. All these things have just taken so much preparatory work to get to, you know, two years just to even unveil yourself out of stealth, you know? So we've just gotten out of that. We're not MVP anymore. We're not proof of concept anymore. We're ready to commercialize. We're ready to you know, do our first round of phase one trials, all these kind of things. And yet that's still like a large, you know, Herculean uh, meandering path. That it's road. a huge journey, right? It's a huge journey. So, so then you got, now you got questions like, well, you know, traction and product adoption. And I know that they're so important, especially when speaking to investors and, and the likes, but we just got to that point now. We got our first sale, for example, with the, the biggest senior living community in Portugal last month for a three-month pilot with 30 of their older adults. It'll be structured as a three-month mini kind of, you know, clinical protocol so that we can actually measure certain things with regular long-term usage with a control group of 30 of their staff, so to speak. And you know, it's our first sale. It's our first uh, round of it. Now we have to focus on work on, I think, intuition of what the road's like as we approach these opportunities with senior living communities. We see how they operate. We see how we can convert these pilots into 
long-term you know, uh, licensing of the software with a backend platform that we're really leveraging for our B2B model, even though the app is available on B2C. But there's companies all across VR right now that are, are trying to tackle help helping longevity issues or, or older adults. I, my last article on VentureBeat like two years ago when I stopped writing was about how senior living communities are actually in nursing homes are actually the early adopters, surprisingly enough, of VR when it comes to the US. So, you know, it's a group, it's a village kind of effort of all of, all of us in the ecosystem tackling different things, hopefully working together, pairing our solutions in various ways. Because once you get these VR headsets in the hands of anyone or any organization, it's not just a headset for one solution. It's a headset for many, many, many solutions. So anyone who gets it for one company is going to invariably want to get an ecosystem of content to benefit their organization. So my answer is really long-winded because it really is a, it's a hero's journey, step by step. And we're just taking the, the first steps right now to figure out what these pilots look like. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. So pediatrics is another area, where, right? I mean, you mentioned the work in ADHD, which I think yeah. is also phenomenal. You know, it's just, I don't know, maybe it started even during the pandemic, right? I had to chuckle because we, you know, we always would say, oh my gosh, your children shouldn't be on a, on a computer for more than an hour. And then somehow it extended right. to, to two hours. And I don't know, my kids are logged on for four hours for school, right? Yeah. We're sitting in front of a computer. And we had similar kind of concerns and still do when it's per, when it relates to use of virtual reality, right? And certainly the, the optical, you know, and ocular development for children. So what do you know about this space and around its adoption? And, and it sounds as though you're going to very specific areas of application for VR for children. So can you share a little bit about that? You know, like I'm funny enough, part like anti-technologist, you know, I, I look at this stuff from two angles and you have to drink the Kool-Aid to be a founder for sure. But I always have this fear about technology disabling us or taking away from things. And it should always be viewed very warily, you know, from that point of view, I think. When it comes to children, I don't, I don't think VR should ever be used for anyone under, anything under puberty, pretty much. I think it's a time that I think, you know, for example, virtual reality, it, it triggers our autonomic nervous system into believing the experience is real. So my phobia of heights is actually triggered when I'm standing on top of a very tall ledge in VR. And so that's interesting because you can use it for desensitization therapy. You can use it for all these therapeutic applications. There's about 5,000 studies that have shown actually worldwide the therapeutic applications of VR. But that also has a double-edged sword that you can, if you can cure a phobia, you can probably create a phobia with such a platform. So we're going into really uncharted territory. And when it comes to children, I think it, we have to even be extra, extra beyond the HIPAA compliant this and that. I mean, you're talking about, you know, manipulating the nonverbal aspects of the human condition and what the heck do we even understand about consciousness or neural development? I mean, how much do we, re we always think we're at the end of history and we know so much, but every 50 years we realize how little we did know. So that's how I feel very wary about that whole area. When I'm talking about pediatric ADHD or pediatric TBI, so traumatic brain injury. And that causes, I think there's like 700,000 cases in the United States. I mean, there was a study that just came out, in fact, showing VR for rehabilitation for TBI, for example. You can show its applications on this application for pediatrics. And then suddenly, you know that that benefit could also be used in general purposes for attention deficit, you know. But the key point from my perspective is I'm a big believer in short form VR. I'm not a, a supporter of long form VR. I noticed supporter. that you were referring to snacking, right? 15 minutes here, 15 minutes yeah, there. That's it. Cognitive mm. workout. 
each of our games is designed to be three minutes long. It's a closed loop game. You level up where you're supposed to be. Like if you were at a bench press and you got to 70 pounds or whatever, then you know that's your next time you can come up and see if you can get to 75. It's the exact same way of the game design. And so it's all about leveling up gradually. There's no about a competition with yourself. It's about wholesomeness. It's like, here, I'm going to play these games across these seven core cognitive categories. I'm going to see that I'm a caricature. Everyone is a caricature. Oh, everyone has an overdevelopment of something at the expense of the underdevelopment of another thing. In our society, we, we glorify the Tiger Woods, right? Uh, the over hyper overdevelopment of something, Doogie Howser, that kind of stuff. But we don't realize the underdevelopment side, the, the gym analogy again is, you know, chicken legs, right? You go, you don't want, you have to have symmetry and so wholesomeness. So where am I underdeveloped? And can I use these games to just focus on my weak spots? Because we hate touching on our weak spots. We hate our killer. My friends, when I used to play FIFA and stuff, when I was you know, younger, they would play with me until I started winning more. And then they stopped interested because they, they don't, no one likes, you know, so, you know, you see it from the point of view of short form games that are designed as serious games by neuroscientists as short closed loop experiences that are only going to take a few minutes of your time and you get back into the real world. And that's it. And that's my perspective of VR. When it comes to augmented reality and eventually moving our content to AR, once that you know, hardware cycle iterates to the level of maturity that it needs to, it's not there yet, then that's more pervasive all day kind of glasses and stuff that I can see as something that can be a companion with you all day long, maybe to some extent, it's good, it doesn't take away from life. But VR has to be something that my personal opinion, I'm completely on your camp. And we have to always watch for keeping these experiences short, in my opinion, when it comes to healthcare applications, especially. Very fascinating. This is really great information that you're really providing for everyone, Amir. I love it. So when you think about, I mean, earlier you're talking about uh, the challenges, right? Like being in this space, it's been around for a very long time. People were surprised. We talk about it a lot now because there's sort of this proliferation, but the reality is it's that, you know, VR has been over for 20, 30 years now. So where do you see the challenges, the hangups when it comes to applying the technology and getting, I mean, even the accomplishments we've had thus far, they've been amazing that finally as an application, as a technology is being recognized, but it still seems like there's so many gaps there. What do you see as being some of those challenges and ways that we might be able to tackle some of them? You know, it's just last year that you got the FDA declaring the, the, as a breakthrough designation, this application, like applied VR in the, when the West Coast US got their breakthrough uh, designation for pain management uh, VR application. And then you got Achilles in June for video games. The game is being considered in a serious use case for education or for healthcare. This is just last year and then paired up and probably you know, COVID definitely greased the wheels of the regulatory bodies for sure. But worldwide, you see this embracement of things that was just like months ago happening. So VR is, as you say, so driven by uh, hype in the the perspective of people because it's been through three, maybe four waves already. And this is the latest wave. And so what, is it going to go out the way of, you know, 3D TVs or something like that, you know? But this last year and the FDA designations and the FDA category and in Germany, DIGA's regulatory body, the way that they're adopting it in terms of this phase two trials are now beginning with VR as applications. You know, this is, it's saturating with the most serious minds involved. You know, uh, anyone who's interested in this topic specifically, you should really look into uh, Brennan uh, Spiegel's from Cedar sinai his book, VRX, that just came out, I think, six months ago. And it's, it goes into this great, great seminal detail. But the serious use cases is where I think this, this technology has critical use cases. I don't think VR is the next gaming platform, in my opinion. I, 
Um, that's not my interest, at least. I'm biased away from that. I think VR has surgical applications that are critical use cases that can achieve things that screen-based formats simply cannot do because it engages the body in such a way that the body believes the experience is real. Like a lie detector test, we do it and the body will tell the truth, even though maybe cognitively you want to ego, your ego wants to lie. You can't. There's a there's two dimensions to us. And the other dimension that we're always kind of aware, not aware of, but it's always participating in the experience of life, believes this digital experience environment is real because it's ecologically valid, our proprioception and vestibular balance system. They all believe this thing is real. And so I think the healthcare applications, once they're just a couple more years of, of validations across the world with regulatory bodies, that gives the serious weight behind it that people can't brush it aside. And COVID, I think, is not going anywhere. We're seeing a, a shadow pandemic of, of what's happened with mental health, at least. And these technologies are far more effective, in my opinion, than experiences that are 2D and where you're typing and tapping with your fingers on a screen. I mean, it's going to be still a gradual road of that. There's no overnight success for VR. There's never been that thing. And, you know, there's a lot of journalists who've always tried to hype it up. You know, next year is the inflection point. You just, I think as a serious creator, you just have to put your head down, be a cockroach in the nuclear winter of, of, of working on this kind of emerging technology and, and just make small strides. I think in a couple of years, it will be across many of the finest hospitals and research academic institutions across the US and Europe as you know technology that you're going to see all across these places. But we just have to keep on watching the research studies come out with the positive results. And I think everything will just naturally organically um, come into form. And you've mentioned quite a few opportunities for your company in particular, right? You've got the research that's going on. Tell us more about some of the things that are coming up and what you're looking forward to in the future. Yeah, like like here in Europe, we're starting our first study with one of our university research hospital partners, and that's begun. There's one in the summer that will begin with um, our partners, MapHabit. We're a sub-grantee award winner of their uh, phase two SBIR-NIH study that will begin there, and that's focused on cognitive decline as well. So, you know, these are all beginning. I mean, that's a 22-month study. The other one in Barcelona is, is a is two-year study. You know, we, we watch these go and, and happen and begin, but we're also forming research partnerships uh, with other institutions like the VA healthcare system in San Francisco through um, UCSF. We're looking to do a clinical protocol with them that's specifically focused on TBI in veterans, which causes addiction. Addiction is a high risk factor towards cognitive decline, right? Everything's kind of related. We had um, interest from space agencies, um, both in the US and Europe, on the cognitive health of deep space flights for, you know, people heading off to, the, to Mars. You know, It's really, from the research aspect, we kind of go with where the research partners want us to go because we're the technology enabling a broad application of cognitive client. Our focus as a company, though, is, is very much more for this year, improving the user experience, you know, improving the delightful experience of it, you know, in terms of user onboarding, education, these kind of things of why, why the meaning and, and context of what they're doing um, should matter to them so that they make an effort, just like going to the gym a few times a week because you know uh, it's saturated in you that it's good for your health. But we're really still focusing on product development and, and focusing on a lot of these initial pilots. This is excellent. The, the progress that you're making and the things that you sort of described that you're looking forward to are phenomenal. And you've given a lot of various use cases, right? What would you say is your favorite? Um, I would say the most profound, first mm-hmm. of all, would be the ones that are focused on early detection of cognitive illnesses like Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. There's a huge 
world of different amazing pioneers in this space trying to create non-invasive biomarkers that can correlate to the, let's say, the, the brain imaging scans that reveal in fMRI machines, there's functional and structural change in the brain. You can detect maybe 20 years, maybe, up you know, before something like that onsets. And the idea is not many people are going to be going to an fMRI machine quite casually. At least that's not our culture yet. So there's a lot of technologies using voice tech with AI or blood or biomarker this, uh, creating digital health, you know, phenotypes that could ultimately, through AI learning algorithms, be able to, you know, for example, use our volumetric data sets and have those, you know, detect the subtle patterns that may correlate um, and then be able to forewarn you years and years in advance. I mean, what our data can be leveraged to do, particularly with a partnership with HP um, that, that's forming right now with, your, with the new Omniset AI VR headset that's about to launch in a few weeks. They got biosensors for the first time integrated into a VR headset that can actually track your pupil dilation and uh, your heart rate. And I think in, in coming iterations, they'll even uh, bring in skin conductivity. And they calculate right now cognitive load in a very exact way putting our volumetric data sets, combining them with biosensory calculations that get your cognitive load and your flow state, and plus maybe EEG, plus all this together, I think it serves as a tremendous opportunity for creating the most non-invasive and compelling way to create these digital health biomarkers. My, my personal favorite, though, you know, it is being able to instill this kind of experience for, for youth, particularly high schools. Um, you know, being able to give the insights to individuals at the beginning of their careers about their cognitive skills, their functions, their, their weaknesses, giving, instilling this kind of appreciation in people about the need to develop those, those, those chicken legs you know, in, in our cognitive functions. I love that. I, you know, the way that you sort of describe the building up of an individual, right? So really using it for develop, self-development and, and continuous improvement. I think that that's really awesome. And it makes me sort of think a bit about the design, right? How mm. we go about the process of designing and personalizing mm. these types of solutions. Can you share a little bit with us about your approaches to the design of your applications? Sure. So we have a game scoring system, for example, called Enhanced Performance Index. And it's an algorithm that ultimately gives you a weighted score per game that then ultimately adds up to the category EPI score and then ultimately of a universal EPI score based on all those, those gameplays that you have. And it's a weighted score because each game basically targets not just a memory as a main category, but actually specifically a subtype within that category. So is it a working, is it targeting working memory, short-term memory, long-term memory? You know, each one of the, the categories actually breaks down to those. And that's what the game scoring is based on. And the games themselves do not customize to the individual. The individual plateaus at their maximum ability according to the game and the subtype of function and basically showing you more or less objectively, kind of like an IQ score kind of way of looking at it, how you are placed um, in that, you know, spectrum of, of skill sets, not skill sets, but abilities, and then how those abilities more or less compare to the greater universe of all players, you know, how are you a caricature compared to the grander caricatures and can we break that down by demographics of some kind? Can we get insights about those kind of things? So um, our games are designed in that way where they're not supposed to adjust or adapt to anyone, but just plateau you where you are. They're all designed right from the get-go by neuroscientists where they typically will try to first find 
the standardized, commonly used assessment tools, neuropsychological assessment tools that have been used for decades, like the Stroop test or the NBAC task, which was created in the 1950s in Japan. And we try to translate those first and foremost into these 3D rendered environments where they can essentially do what that MBAC task has been doing in pen and paper or in the screen based and get the exact same correlative output in terms of what the neurologist would get an A4 and say, that's the score of the NBAC here. And here's the NBAC and all the traditional ones and go, okay, good. We correlate to traditional methodologies. But often we have to also be artistic to some extent and start creating new games because of the new opportunities of VR by, you know, the neuroscientists being inspired by neuropsychological principles or, you know, neuroscience-based research. Like one of our games is based on the research at the University of Cambridge. It's called Magic Deck. It's an episodic uh, memory game, which is a form of long-term memory. And it's actually based on the research of Dr. Barbara Sahakian's team, where they found that when you play this type of game, it increases neural activity in the region of the brain associated with schizophrenia and with longitudinal use, that symptoms of schizophrenia actually abate. So we find this research, we, and which is very bleeding edge, and we use that as inspiration to create a, a game as well. So it's a mixture of translation, what we all, translation of what we already have, and also creating based on the principles of, that's been the bleeding edge of research. And you know, the neuroscientists collaboratively working with game designers, right? And and, and sometimes mathematicians and, and other people. It's very interdisciplinary. Um, a lot of gray matter in our team is probably really getting a good workout just trying to create these things. So amazing. And it's really awesome that your team is doing as much research as you're doing. So congratulations on that as well. I think that sometimes it's underappreciated um, how important the research is in terms of adoption and also, you know, just recognizing the impact these technologies can have on us. We don't know what we don't know until we go through that discipline of studying it. So thank you for the amazing work. So as we close here, you'd mentioned earlier, your platform is not, it's getting to the point, it's a little pre-commercialization, right? You're in pre-commercial phase. So does this mean there there isn't like a trial version of anything that our listeners can go out and you know try out for themselves or do they need to contact you? How can they engage with your platform? Well, I, I think I misspoke actually. The app is available on all the major VR stores right now and it's full release with all 11 games. Another game is launching in a couple of weeks and they can download it for free, you know? You know what app- it may have been? It may have been that you were talking about a specific yes. application. Okay. Our enterprise platform or data portal, we don't know what to call it yet. Yeah. Um, it's what we would license to pharma companies with their yeah. phase three trials or they want to pair our solution to their, you know, the neuroscience drugs. They want to figure out who they work on and mm-hmm. accelerate approvals or, or a hospital that wants to use it for research or a senior living community. That portal is very well developed, but it's ready to be licensed. But we're just doing you know, paid pilots right now to figure out during those pilots, what are the key reporting features that they want? How do we make the experience for the corporate Got partners? It. And so it's, it's commercialization ready, but it's not at the level that next year we would have like a SaaS platform based on all the learnings of this year and the pilots and figuring out what will delight our corporate partners. What are the specific, because we just assuming what they want to see in terms of reporting features or, you know, uh, features like having third-party biometrics integrated, like your Fitbit watch. If you want to be able to put that into the data sets, then we have enabled that, but we haven't maybe done it the right way. So this is the year of, of adapting the backend platform, which was really well-developed in coordination with even the AWS um, to make it really strictly HIPAA compliant and every other abbreviation you can imagine that matters when you're taking so much data, personal data, and you have to be a 
properly set up for that. And it's been all that's been done. But how do we make it a, a SaaS best of class platform that really is tailored to the needs of, of, of those who can have an impact in their communities? I love it. So let's say it one more time then, Amir. You have solutions that are readily available now <laughs> and folks can access them by? By going to our website, virtualleap.com. We have a download section for our app, Enhanced VR. Depending on which headset you have, we support them all. We're device agnostic. And you can immediately just click on the link and, and download the app and, and play our games today. That's awesome. And we're super excited about the work that you're doing. And you know, some folks in our audience, our listeners are from some of the types of facilities that you talked about, like nursing homes, right. a post-acute care environment. So if they wanted to get a hold of you, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? You know, like you, Fran, you, I'm so thankful you added me on LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn, I am a power user. I think I've been for like, I don't even know how long LinkedIn is old, but if you add me on LinkedIn, I will accept very fast. I am, I'm literally wired for LinkedIn. But aside from that, you can also email me at Amir, A-M-I-R at virtualleap.com. And we'll immediately, you know, set up a call, set you up with uh, access to the backend system, let you try it for yourself and, and give us your feedback. But we're completely open for all sorts of partners, even the ones that haven't even discussed. If you see a use case, we're so explorative and curious. That's great. Well, thank you, Amir, so much. And thank you to our listeners. Thanks for tuning into Reach Radio. This program is made possible by listeners like you. To learn more about Reach and to support this program, visit www.reachtl.org.